You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily podcast on the Minnesota Timberwolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the first Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, Colt Molesky here bringing you Timberwolves content. Make sure to check out the LockedOnTimberwolves.com website for prior podcasts, all the Timberwolves content you can want. Also, check out my Twitter account at Samoleski, M O L E S K Y, for updates. Charles posted there as well. Today, we're going to be talking about the rookie class, and we're going to be looking at the rookie class a little bit differently. Here, talking about with me, Dream Shakes, Jeremy Brenner from SB Nation. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining the podcast again. I'm glad that you were able to, to hop back on. You've been on before, and I'm glad that I didn't scare you away enough to where you're coming back. Yeah, we'll see you after this time. You should scare me away this time, but <laughs> it's a podcast by podcast. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so today we're looking at the rookies, but we're doing it a little bit different. Usually people look at a rookie class and they say, all right, who's going to be scoring the most? Who's going to get the most minutes? Who's going to be potential rookie of the year? I wanted to do a little bit different. I wanted to go as far as off the court, how these guys are acting. Who's going to be the Jason Taylor? Who's going to be the, the professional? Who's not going to be focused by media? Who's going to handle the transition the best? And then who is going to be the Mark Hill Fultz? Who's going to give their fan base absolute headaches? You're not sure what's going on. There's all sorts of confusion between them and the GM and the coaching staff and, and their think they should be playing, but they're not playing. Who's going to be the absolute headache and who's going to be the pleasant surprise for how good they are? And I've got a couple for both of these, but I wanted to hear first, uh, who do you think is going to just be the consummate gentleman, what is going to be a, a pleasant professional? A pleasant professional, I would say, um, well, first when I look at these kind of things, I look at the teams that they're on, and that's the first thing I look at. And then the second thing I look at is where they came from and where they're going to in terms of location. So when I look at um, the number four overall pick and I see Jaron Jackson going to Memphis, a team filled with veterans like Mike Conley, and you have uh, Mark Gasol there, who's, who's like his heir, he's the heir apparent, I guess, to Mark Gasol. I, I see that in being the smallest market or one of the smallest markets in the league. Jaron Jackson's not going to have all of that, you know, media attention right on him right out the gate. So I think that he actually has the best chance to fit that description you just described, Colton, is, uh, of a, a consummate professional. And you know, when I saw him in the in the summer league, he looks like he he will be there in terms of play and in terms of his leadership skills. I think that he'll be able to be groomed by some of the best leaders in the game with uh, Conley and Gasol. So I really like Jaron Jackson's uh, situation right now. I had I like that a lot, and I think that you're absolutely right that he's he's around the right kind of people. Even I, a team that's picking in the top four, maybe as not the the best or look at a team just ahead of the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know if they're able to maybe mold Trey Young into one of these guys, but I think that Memphis is just a different kind of team that's had some trouble winning, where they do have veterans that can teach these young guys how to be pros. And I like that pick a lot. I had two guys for this, and I wanted to run them past you. My first one was Lonnie Walker for 
the San Antonio Spurs from Miami. I feel like he's handled a lot and taken a lot on the chin pretty well already. Just with the injury he had at Miami, a very high-profile basketball school, the Miami Hurricanes, and he had an injury that really affected the way he played it. An injury that really affected the way he played basketball early on. Really slow first couple months. And he was able to weather that storm. And with all the expectations around him, he was able to weather that storm of not performing and then came back with the last two months of the season, came back really strong. And then you and I were around him during the summer league, just really handled his business well at summer league. Uh, I know that that's not the same kind of stage, but I think that's a good kind of prognostication. If you're able to, to go to interviews and to, to not be uh, not be kind of swept up in all that is summer league, I think that's a good sign for you as a player. The other thing, the other guy I had is uh, the Timberwolves own Keita Bates' job, uh, who was picked late in the second round. I think it says something when not you've been in school for four years, you're you're the the player of the year in the Big Ten, but also when everyone in your draft class, the NBA rookie survey came out, when everybody in your draft class says that you were uh, that you were one, you're going to be one of the steals in the in the draft. I think that that just shows that you're you know how to handle your business a little bit. I know that you don't want to put too much stock in these rookie surveys, but. Uh, Everybody looking at a guy with all these guys have been told they're the best player for their entire young lives, and they are able to look at a guy like Keita and say, you know what, this guy should have been drafted way higher than a bunch of guys. This guy should have been drafted way higher than me. And, and I think that says something about how you handle yourself as a pro. Uh, maybe not everything, but I, I think it does go a long way to that effect. I also think that a lot of maturity coming out of the OSU as uh, kind of one of the main guys for a lot of years for them, and he knows how to how to be a voice in the locker room, and I think that's going to help him as well. Yeah, I think both of the guys you just mentioned, uh, I had going higher in the draft. I thought um, Keita Jock had had potential to go late in the first, and he ended up mm-hmm. dropping to middle of the second, which uh, surprised me a little bit. I think the Wolves got a good get in him and Lonnie Walker was someone I thought could have gone in the top 10. I was super high on him and was a little disappointed to see him drop all the way to 18 to San Antonio of all teams. And what, when you see Lonnie Walker in San Antonio, you're like, oh, that's a perfect marriage in my opinion. I think, um, you know, getting a guy like that to, uh, you know, move you past the Kawhi era, I think it makes, I think he's a guy that can fit that role very well. I mean, look at Kawhi. Kawhi was a, a non-lottery first-round pick. And, I mean, I'm not saying Lonnie Walker's going to be Kawhi, but I think that um, he's the guy with the right kind of attitude that you want for a team where San Antonio is right now. Because San Antonio's in a very interesting and precarious spot. They're very much unlike any other team in the league, actually, I feel. They, they're, like, kind of contending because they're the Spurs, mm-hmm. and that, but they don't have – they don't have those same players that got them to where they were, you know, with, with Manu gone now and Tony Parker gone now and Kawhi gone. So it's a, it's a new team, but it's, it's the same. It, there's a, there's an idea that the same culture is going to be there and seeing these guys, you know, recreate the culture is going to be fun to watch. And I think that Lonnie Walker will be seen as one of those guys that is going to be in charge of, you know, recreating the culture or, or continuing the culture that the guys behind them left, uh, were able to create. Well, I mean, it, it really is the true test of 
is this culture as good as we've all been saying it's been for the last, uh, what, 20 years? Because now mm-hmm. you actually are testing. Now you, now you take away the Hall of Famers, and now you, you see, uh, it, it is this the, the culture that we've been making, or did they have really good players, and that was a huge crutch for this thing. So it'll be really interesting to see. I, I like a lot of young guys on this team. Though. I like Bonnie Walker a lot. I like DeJounte Murray a lot. And I think that DeMar DeRozan and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge on that team are enough while these young guys are kind of developing in the first couple of months of the season. As far as where Lonnie Walker was taken, both these guys, it was really strange because when I was doing pre shows, you see both of these guys, Lonnie Walker was in that 20 to 22 range, and uh, Akita Bates Jock was in that, uh, that kind of 29 to 30 range. And, and I was talking about Lonnie Walker as a steal, but Keto might be uh, not a terrible pick if he was able to drop to them in the second uh, round. I thought that would be a real steal. And then throughout the, the couple months leading up to the draft, Lonnie Walker and Keto Bates job, both of those guys move up the boards. You have Lonnie Walker as a lottery pick, and then you have Keto Bates job in that 20 to 22 range. And I was thinking, maybe I missed something. Is he a, a great pick at 20? And then both of these guys end up dropping right back again in the draft process. So it's just proof that uh, we don't really know what's going to happen on draft. But uh, I think that both those guys were ended up being steals where they got drafted. And so I think San Antonio and the Timberwolves were big winners coming out that night because of that. Just for the same reason I think that a team like the Rockets were, uh, got a steal at D'Anthony uh, D'Anthony. Um, Melton, future Hall of Famer, D'Anthony Melton, is that who we're talking about? Yeah, he yeah. was a steal as well. And I think that's somebody who, if you're talking about guys who know how to handle their I mean, you basically, he's been thrown into the fire over his entire college career with all the, the FBI investigations and being uh, suspended from school, not being able to come back his sophomore season. I, I mean, there's not anything the NBA is going to throw at him that's going to really be than what happened to him in college. So that's another guy, if you're looking at guys who can really handle their business and be pros, I think he's learned just through fire how to, to handle his business. Yeah, D'Anthony Melton is like the one guy where you and I have definitely crossed paths with, and we've we, we talked a lot about him, uh, you and I, Colton. And I, 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 at first I was a bit precarious, but um, I'm so excited about D'Anthony Melton on the Rockets, and I think that you know, he, he has the ability to mentor behind Chris Paul and be the potential, you know, uh, guy after him when Chris Paul moves on every four years. But I think when you look at this draft class, you you look at the players that they're behind, and that's why I said Jaron Jackson earlier, and D'Anthony Melton is another good example of that. Uh, you have guys that can be, you know, mentored behind a veteran, uh, a respectable veteran. So, also, guys that fit this build, Devontae Graham with Charlotte. Now he has he's mentored behind Tony Parker, who they brought in, and Kemba Walker, who's likely on his way out in a year. So he'll get a chance to – there's a reasonable chance that Devontae Graham will see minutes in his first or second year. And you look at other guys even um, – there, there's so many that you could possibly name. Uh, like Shea Gilders-Alexander, I really like that. Um, he's behind Patrick Beverly and he can gain his, you know, defensive skills. This is a really good class for point guards. I think um, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot, a lot of good guards in this draft, and they they are able to be mentored behind the veteran guys 
I I like a lot of people's situations. I'm I'm more favorable on most of these guys than I am. But also, it's it's the rookie year. They haven't played a game in the NBA yet. They haven't done anything wrong, so it's hard to be against these guys when they've done nothing wrong so far. Exactly, exactly. We're going to talk about some of the maybe the guys who are going to crash and be a headache for their fan base. First, we're going to get to talk about the rookie class, but we're we're talking about them. Uh, not in terms of how many points or assists they get, but in terms of if they're going to be uh, professionals right out the gate or if they're going to be headaches for their, their franchise. And we've gone over the, the guys we think are going to be pros. Let's get to the headaches. Who did you have as some potential headaches for fan bases? Um, I would say the, the first guy that comes to mind comes actually right close to the top of the board. I was not a big fan of Marvin Bagley coming out of, uh, out of Duke. I'm sorry, I wasn't. Um, and I'm even even less of a fan that he's in Sacramento. I think if I think if Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson swapped, I'd be more favorable about Bagley. But also, like Sacramento mm-hmm. does not have a good history of building their players. And mm-hmm. there was there was one day where someone gave me a Marvin Bagley um, comparison, and it really turned me off. And it, I've never really been able to shake it. So someone, and I'm going to reveal it right now. So I was told that Marvin Bagley is just a more, a, a bigger version of Thomas Robinson, which almost makes too much sense to me. I think yes. that, I, it, it makes me, remember Thomas Robinson coming out of, out of school? He was in Kansas. It was the year that he took them all the way to the national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marvin Bagley didn't do that. I, no, he didn't, right? Um, nope. Okay, yeah, but anyway, Thomas Robinson was seen as the most athletic player in his class outside of Anthony Davis. So he was he was seen as a hot commodity. He was drafted number five by Sacramento. And he was traded within a season. They they were basically mm-hmm. like we're done with you. They didn't even give him a chance. They sent him to get to the Houston Rockets, and still wasn't very good after that. So like he didn't get a chance to develop. Hopefully the Kings get Bagley more of a chance to develop. But also, I look at him, and I'm just like, I just I just don't see it. The only way I can see this possibly working is if he becomes this dynamite pick-and-roll option with De'Aaron Fox. And I, I guess that's kind of where they were going with it. And they're going to have so much time to, to do that because there's, there's really nobody that can play above Marvin Bagley at this point. I, I really can't see it. I mean, Bogdanovich is a decent um, guy that they're also looking to develop. But, I mean, look, the best player they've had in their recent history is DeMarcus Cousins. And you can even say that that didn't even work because they, they don't have a playoff appearance to show for it. Um, so I, I just don't have faith that Marvin Bagley is going to um, develop as, as well to his full potential because he's in Sacramento. And mm-hmm. I think – because he's not ready, and I think because of that, he'll give fans headaches. Not necessarily something that he's done, but just because of the position that he's in, I think that um, fans are going to get impatient with him. No, that that is kind of like the worst-case scenario for the Kings. Uh, it is to see how much pressure they put on him right away, because you really do want – there's a lot of young guys on this team. It's not just Marvin Bailey. There's a lot of senior guys that you really – you don't want – 
you want them to learn to win, but you don't want them to to go right out right away in the, the first month as they start to struggle. You don't want people to think that they're losing starting spots right away or something like that. I had yeah, two guys here as well. Uh, I had Michael Porter Jr. for the Denver Nuggets. Just seems like it could be all sorts of trouble with his back problems throughout school uh, and coming in. He He's still, even though he played, what was it, a grand total of, I think it was like 42 minutes or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, he he expected to be a top three pick. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that could be just great motivation. The pick fourteen. It could be that uh, he just really hates Denver now and just doesn't like the situation that he's in. Uh, I I see this as a lot with potential problems. The other one, uh, Mitchell Robinson, just because coming from high school, skipped the, the year of college. Uh, and now is going to be in the. He didn't. He wasn't in any uh, league overseas. He was just skip skip that year entirely to be eligible. Uh, didn't go to the combine. I think that this could be a problem just because uh, if you're looking at guys a headache for their uh, their team, if he's not playing well on the floor and then he has to deal with the New York media now playing for the Knicks, I think that this could be a real problem. I think you could have some of the same Marco Fultz problems. Uh, with Mitchell Robinson, and I, I actually really like him in summer league. I think that he could be potentially pretty good. But you also saw him; he kind of was a little bit of a one-trick pony in summer league, as far as he really needs to get to the basket, and you didn't see too much of an inside-out game from him in that small sample size. And so, if he's having problems really finding a rhythm in the the NBA uh, in regular basketball, and then he has to go to the New York media and deal with the, the New York press. New York press. I think that that could be a real problem for him. Yeah, I think lucky for um, Mitchell Robinson though. I think they're going to probably stash him in the G League most of the year. Um, yeah. He'll probably play in Westchester, so he probably you know, because he had that year off. I mean, like Danton Melton also did play last year. Keep that in mind as well. Um, so I'm not necessarily super. You know, I don't think that's as huge of an issue as it may seem. But the fact that he hasn't played any sort of college ball is probably the bigger um, red flag for me in mm. terms of that. But also, I think that his, his situation, he has time to develop with New York um, because they're a rebuilding team. And I don't see – there's no urgency with Mitchell Robinson. They know that he's a project. They know that he, he needs some time. And he, he may be a year or two away, but that's okay because, you know, he did just come out of high school. And maybe he's also trying to, like – go into that, um, you know, the, that new trend of, oh, we're not going to go to college. We're just going to do that. I mean, look, Anthony Simons did the same thing in um, Portland, and I actually think that Anthony Simons ended up in one of the worst positions of any draft pick because he's going to be stuck behind um, Damian Lillard for his whole, you know, his whole yeah, his career. Whole Portland. Yeah, I think that – I just – I. And I'm sure he'll be in the G League, but I just don't see a good position for Anthony Simons. And I feel like, you know, fans will be disappointed that he's not, you know, living up to that first-round talent because – but he's also not being given the opportunity. And he, he's not in the – he's not in the best position to succeed. And in terms of Michael Porter, I think that Denver was one of those teams that 
it made a lot of sense to take him, actually. I, I don't think it's as big of a problem as other teams because Porter had to go somewhere, right? I mean, it, all 30 teams weren't going to pass. I mean, he was, that, he was too talented, you know, to be able to do that. But for a team like Denver that is in the position to be making a step into the playoffs and has the chance to contend in the West, at least, you know, for second place or whatever we're calling it because it's the Warriors' world and we're always living in it. But mm-hmm. Michael Porter doesn't have to be the top three pick that was projected on onto him when he was coming out of high school. He he doesn't have to be that right away, and that's okay because also Denver doesn't have necessarily the space to or the playing time to give him right away either. So he can get a chance to you know really heal the the back that um, his back injury and um, you know we'll see. I, Michael Porter Jr. was a low risk, high reward. Ooh. Who were you going to take in that position anyway? I mean, Denver was in a position where no matter who they picked, they were going to have to develop that guy anyway. So might as well take a guy with the highest upside left in the draft and, you know, let him heal. And then, you know, in a year or two, bring him on. Maybe he could be that top three guy that, you know, people thought he could be a couple years back. This one I'm going to have to on because if you're looking at the draft at number 50 right after Denver, Troy Brown out of Oregon is the next pick. And if you're Denver, you need some help on the wing. Uh, true power forward is probably a better spot for you as a shooting guard, but Troy Brown can help you on the wing. He can help extend the floor shooting-wise, and he can play uh, defense outside, and he can he's big enough and strong enough at uh, 6, 7, 2, 15 to fall guys into the paint and play decent defense inside against uh, a, a three or a two. I think that Troy Brown gives you a lot less drama and a lot less what-if with injury, and he is able to help you sooner. This is a team in Denver that just barely missed the playoff last year, and they're trying to get to the postseason this year. And if you have somebody like Michael Porter, there's a lot of question marks, what-ifs. Whereas if I'm drafting a guy like Troy Brown, there's a lot less question marks, and I think I'm still getting some of the same things that you see yourself getting from a guy like Michael Porter Jr. I would have rather seen him go to a team like the Clippers or a team like the Bulls. Both those teams could have used the wing help as well, but those teams aren't trying to make a playoff push like Denver. I think that a a young infusion of offense, especially uh, from outside, would have been helpful for this team uh, going through that, like, late December push. And I think Troy Brown, a guy who was drafted right there with Michael Porter, would have been the better pick because I think you get that from him right away. I'm not sure what we're getting from Michael Porter anytime soon because of the injury stuff. Yeah, I I think, though, that he'll have um, – hopefully he'll have time because they do have um, guys in the way. They got like, Gary Harris that can play and Will Barton back. Um, but also, at the time when they drafted, they didn't know if Will Barton was coming back. I mean, wasn't he a restricted free agent, I believe? I think he was yeah. he, he was a free agent at the time, so maybe they were trying to, you know, to, oh, we don't know if he'll be back. You know, maybe he'll play. But maybe because they, he was a restricted free agent, they thought, oh, you know, we're definitely getting him back. Um, then... Then we'll put we'll have Michael sit behind him for um, the the foreseeable future, and then we'll move forward. 
I would. I just think that they like his upside enough to. to they, they 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 couldn't pass on him because his upside was too, too much for them to say no to. That's fair. Sometimes that can be really tantalizing. Uh, I just when I'm looking at a team, it, it seems strange to me that you could have uh, a chance to get somebody who's really going to help you right away, or. You, you can take a risk. Maybe that's just my fault. Maybe maybe Vegas bit me too much when I'm uh, when I was there for summer league, and I'm a little risk averse right now. But uh, it just seems strange for a team that's right on the cusp there of a playoff push, and you're you're facing a field that's only six deep, but you've got ten teams vying for it. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. This hands out. Maybe it works out for them. Uh, this has been this, this has been our edition of a different way to look at the rookie class. Who's going to be the prospect? professional and who is going to be giving fan bases headaches. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this kind of version of the way to look at the rookie class. Uh, before we head out here, Jeremy, is there anything you wanted to plug on Dream Shake coming out for you? Yeah, so on the Dream Shake, we're, we're taking a bit of a historic group this offseason. Um, we're doing uh, top 10 countdowns throughout. We did a top 10 trades countdown a couple weeks ago, and now we're doing our top 10 could-have-been uh, series, which is basically players that were somewhere in the were didn't fulfill their expectations or their potential with the Rockets. So go check us out on the dreamshake.com. Follow us on Twitter at dreamshakefdn, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Brenner for all your Rocket knowledge and stuff. Sounds like a lot of fun. Great way to try and get through that slog of August, September before preseason starts. Whatever you can do for content as far as NBA coverage, you got to do it. And so that's a fun way to, to look at your team and a fun way to get some coverage in. Uh, definitely go check out all that as well as well. And, and give them some follows on Twitter. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another Lockdown World Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are Locked On Timberwolves with daily Minnesota Timberwolves.